Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, February 8th, 2023, and this week we'll be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last seven days. And as we do each week, we take our news stories that we have in our newsletter that comes out on Monday called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And if you're wondering what SMIE means, uh, that's social media and international education. And oftentimes in those newsletters, we have overlap between those areas, social media and international ed, as we'll find out about today in what we're talking about. And when I say social media, I'm talking about anything digital that impacts what we do in international education. And when we, the newsletter comes out, we have um, two different ways that you can get it each Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern. That goes straight to your inbox if you subscribe through our website. I'll be dropping the links to those in our chat on the Facebook page and YouTube channel. And you can sign up and subscribe to get it in your email inbox. Or if you prefer to get your international ed news on LinkedIn, uh, we have a LinkedIn version that between the two editions uh, that you, uh, if you choose, whichever you choose to subscribe to, we now have over a thousand subscribers to this newsletter. So we're very glad that you're making, uh, by subscribing, a part of our, it's a free subscription to our international ed news that we share each week. So in terms of this week's edition, uh, we will be covering three questions. So let's get right into it this Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. First up, how well does your college practice international customer service with prospective students? Second, have international-led tech companies over-promised and under-delivered so far? And finally, how is the direct admissions phenomenon going this year? So these are the three questions we're going to get to today. If you haven't already subscribed to the newsletter, I'm giving you the opportunity to do that through the links that are, will be shared in the Facebook chat and YouTube channel. Uh, but you can also go direct to smieconsulting.org slash subscribe, and you can enter your email details and information, and we'll get that to you added to that subscriber list. So let's get right to the first question. How well does your college practice customer service internationally? And this question comes up this week uh, as a result of an article from our friends at Inted. Uh, they've got uh, a regular series of these that come out once a week. This one is entitled Customer Service as a Marketing Tool, Success Tips for Universities and Private High Schools. And it focuses on a lot of uh, common sense marketing principles in terms of uh, who are the best promoters of products and services, those that are using them currently. And in our speak in international higher ed, that means your current students and engaging them in what you do uh, with prospective students in terms of customer service, in terms of answering prospective student questions by your current students and having different ways that that can happen, either through online chats, uh, directly tied to your site, through social media, uh, live event, live chat events or takeover events where your current students are the ones producing the content and then per current prospective students have the chance to respond either live or to posts that these students put out. Having your having easy ways for your current students to be engaged with your prospective students in the, your overall communication with your future student audiences. These are the ways to get it done. Now, how do you do that effectively? Uh, this And the way they, they pose it here in the Inted column is the reality is your perspective, and this is their, their quote from that article, your perspective and current students are highly influential new student magnets. 
So that's sh sharing how much those two can go together, your prospective students and your current students, and where, uh, where the opportunities are to connect those two and where aren't there the opportunities to connect those two are the questions really uh, that you should be asking. And now there are opportunities throughout the enrollment cycle uh, from initial prospect through to enrolling student that where you can connect those two dots. And the number of ways you can do that is clearly um, and what the kinds of questions that they can ask about what life is like as a student on campus that only a current student can really share that experience. It's also about the real nuts and bolts questions that they might have questions on, uh, the scholarship questions that they might have about how do I find funding to pay for my studies there if I don't have everything now, or what happens if I uh, lose a sponsor or lose a, lose, uh, lose funding for my, my studies while I'm at your university. Uh, there are other scholarships available out there. So current students can really help paint that picture for your for your prospective student audiences. Things like uh, visas are, are top of the mind, and particularly when you can connect a current student from the country of a prospective student, and having when you have, if you're at the at the stage in your recruitment where you have critical masses of in, in individual applicants or prospects from certain countries or regions where you can connect those two groups together, your prospective students and your current students, and you can sh have your current students share their experiences going through that process about applying for the visa, getting ready for the interview, all those nuts and bolts kind of questions that your prospective students have and they feel most comfortable getting those answers from students who've gone through that experience recently. So these are the kinds of things that you want to make sure you have uh, have lined up in your comm flows, in your strategies, in your events that you might have available, in your online presence, wherever that may be. And one suggestion that uh, the Inted folks have in, the, in their piece is to map out your student personas. And we've talked a little bit about personas here on the Roundup in the past when we've talked about our six P's of strategic international enrollment management. Uh, one of those P's is personalize is uh, personalization and that involves making your messaging making your approach to prospective students tied directly to the kinds of students you want to have on your camp campus and have messaging that can answer specifically to different uh, personas that you are looking to enroll and identifying those in terms of your messaging online in terms of your social profiles in terms of your students that you're engaging with, having them represent the kinds of students you want to enroll, that's really what you, you want to get drilled down to in uh, a maturing uh, communication flow uh, and a, a maturing customer service uh, approach towards your prospective student audiences. And you, you consider one thing that they suggest is uh, uh, an FAQ for each student persona that, you're, that you have, uh, that you have identified as priority for your institution when it comes to international students. Uh, this will be, uh, have, have those uh, standard resp standardized responses that you can have plugged in uh, based on the personas that you're, you're seeing identified in, uh, your, in, your, in your pool of students that you are trying to build on your college campus. So these are the kinds of things that can really help uh, you 
hyper-focus your attention on the kinds of students that you want by providing them the answers that make the most sense for that audience. So a student that's coming from a country where you know you have a high proportion of uh, students that you're trying to enroll from that country that maybe scholarships isn't as big a deal. Maybe they're coming from sponsored student, sponsored as sponsored students, whether government or an agency or a private company is providing funding for those students to enroll. If that's the case, the questions about scholarship aren't going to be as relevant as to as it might be for finding the right housing, uh, f uh, making sure their connection with their department is strong, uh, that they have the right advising in place. Those are the kinds of issues that might be more important to that audience. So how do you t dif differentiate that message from an international student that might be coming from countries where uh, you know typically they're going to need a little extra help. They might be uh, first uh, ge greater majority of first-gen students coming from their, from their country that are enrolling for the first time in the first of their family to enroll in a university university level program, certainly the first to even think about going overseas as well, they're going to have a, perhaps a different level of expectation or different uh, maturity level uh, in terms of their overall knowledge of what uh, it takes to enroll as a student in the United States. So if those are two potentially different de uh, demographics or personas of kinds of students you're trying to enroll at your campus, uh, then you want to make sure you have question and answers, the questions that the, the students from each of those demographics might may, might need to know. You can be have your information properly ready so that your current students can respond, so that staff might be able to respond better to meet those needs of those individual persona groups that you're trying to target. So there's a lot of value in this, and I, I think it's an underrated part of international student recruitment is that, uh, frankly, it, it does require some bandwidth and some prior planning to make, make sure it's effective and in place and implementable. And that's not something that's done overnight. It's not something that's easy to do if you're a one-person shop. It's very difficult to do if you don't, others, don't have others helping you create those FAQs that have, where you have three or four or five identified personas that you're trying to attract to your institution and then be able to drill down and have the kinds of questions that you're trying to, you want to make sure you have the right answers to from a perspective student pers uh, uh, perspective student perspective that your current students can help inform for that particular persona. So great article from Inted. I really recommend picking this up and making it a part of your uh, just your edification for the week on international ed news. And this, this is kind of a, a thought-provoking thing. It's not something perhaps you're going to be able to do right away. It's going to be for those down periods. When do those ever happen, right? Uh, in your schedule in the year where you might have time to do some forward planning for the next uh, recruitment cycle and review comm flows and all those types of things and see where the tweaks can be made to individual messaging. How do you uh, put prospective students into those buckets where they might have fit those persona needs and making sure there's some obviously back-end stuff that would need to be sorted out to make make sure that process is efficient and is sustainable uh, that in terms of regularly being able to identify students from one country or one region or one uh, particular academic program whatever it might be as you as you've identified as uh, your key personas to determining what kinds of messaging that particular audience needs to get so a really positive uh, start to this uh, to this this session today on the roundup uh, with this article on customer service and really focusing on that as a way to uh, think about what you do as a university and oftentimes we don't like to think of ourselves as businesses but uh, our product is our 
is our current students who are experiencing that education and your future clients or prospects or customers are the ones who are thinking about coming to your institution and trying it out. And they need to be able to have those conversations and to have their questions answered that meet their individual needs. So that's that's the whole concept of customer service that um, for institutions, particularly if you are not an elite school where you have more, far more applications than you need, to, than you know what to do with, and your uh, admit rates are in the single digits, this is not a conversation where you potentially need to inf- uh, have the time or bandwidth or even care to focus on as part of your journey of what your what journey you're providing for your prospective student audiences. But for the rest of us who have to hustle and have to really get out there and make sure that we're connecting in every, at every point that we can with prospective students, that we have messaging that works. Uh, for the individual student's needs or the type of student that you're trying to recruit, then uh, for the rest of us, we do need to think about this and and make it a part of our longer-term vision for what we want to do with our uh, international student recruitment efforts. So that's all for that first question. We're going to move straight into our second one. And this is a little bit of a downer question, but it's a real reality check for, I think, a lot of, a lot of individuals uh, who are in the international ed profession these days. And the question is, have international ed tech companies overpromised and underdelivered so far? And why is this coming up? I think it's coming up for a lot of reasons. Um, We all saw during uh, the pandemic, uh, we lost a lot of great talent on the institutional side. Uh, A lot of great talent retired, who had years of experience in the field that says, I'm fed up with this, I can't do this, deal with this anymore. They left. Some were downsized, some left voluntarily. Uh, And the replacements for those positions, in some places, they haven't come yet. Or they've been replaced with entry-level people or mid-level managers when you needed an SIO or a, a C senior senior, uh, director or executive director to kind of lead the charge for international on campus, that senior leadership in international oftentimes hasn't been replaced at that same level. I know for, uh, in contrast, at UNLV, uh, we were just starting to build during the pandemic, and we were slowly adding on as we've gone. So we're getting bigger in terms of our international operation at UNLV. Other campuses who had large, uh, large staff already, they lost positions that haven't replaced them yet or replaced them with uh, lower-level uh, folks or entry-level folks in, in the worst-case scenario uh, for if you were to replace somebody. But... Um, what happened during that during the pandemic with the great resignation international ed was was uh, lost a lot of great talent and some of that talent if they didn't retire some of that talent went to the intel international ed tech side that private companies uh, that got uh, that were kind of seeing a big rush uh, during the pandemic when everything went online they're thinking ed tech this is the way to go uh, there's going to be bright futures we're not going back to the way things were and slowly but surely they things have started to come back to the way things were but the problem has been for those folks that did get lured away to work for uh, some of these intel, international education technology companies. We're talking here about some of the um, agent aggregators out there. Uh, we, we're talking about some of the service providers, some of the uh, partners uh, that are doing ed tech uh, online courses combination programs. Uh, there's uh, with there was great expectation that there'd be many more institutions buying into their 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 way of doing things than have actually. Uh, 
done so. And as a result, the expectations of how many how many sales university sales were we going to be able to make this year by bringing on new uh, university partners for uh, for us to send students to when those didn't materialize as quickly as these uh, in international ed tech firms wanted, uh, there has been uh, some retrenchment going on. Uh, and some pullback uh, going on. We've seen uh, some of the aggregators like Educo. Educo uh, had, uh, had pushed their boat out fairly quickly during the pandemic. And over the last year, they've cut back quite a bit. Uh, we've seen others in the uh, in, in other uh, smaller agencies have uh, that might have uh, bolstered their their uh, bottom line in terms of staffing have start started to bring back uh, cut back on some of those uh, initial uh, promises of or, of a brighter future for employees. So it's it's there's a lot of good talent that has had left the profession from the institutional side that got uh, bought up bought up by the uh, NTED Tech uh, kind of sector with all the money and cap venture capital have been going into international ed tech. There was a lot of uh, excitement and expectation that this is going to be the next big thing. This uh, it's really going to drive and uh, the Intel ed tech, international ed tech sector was going to really drive a lot of our future growth. And it may still, but the, I think those expectations perhaps have been forced to be tempered with uh, perhaps uh, these companies pushing the boat out too far, frankly, uh, in terms of their their staffing. Uh, and I've, I've seen it through through some of the partners that we're working with. have had, We've lost our main point of contact uh, once or twice in the last year uh, at UNLV, some of the folks that we've been working with. Uh, one of the aggregators uh, decided, well, we're, we're, we're not going to renew our contract with you, even though they've not sent us any students yet. It's it's a real interesting uh, uh, phenomenon to see after uh, less than a year of some really exciting, promising kind of prospects out there for relationships that could help bolster what we're trying to do on campus, uh, that some of them have been cutting back and cutting back staff uh, at a time when we're ready to get going with them. Then they, they're start, starting to pull back. It's, it's, it's a little bit un, un, unsettling, but it's certainly kind of par for the course at this point because it's not just one company here or there. It's, it's a range of companies across the board. And a Pi News article really speaks to this uh, this past week. Tech, technology layoffs hit international ed sector is the theme of it. And it goes through uh, apply board, seeing a 6% uh, reduction in its global workforce. Adventus saw almost 40% uh, customer service and admission sales staff cut HR cuts uh, there and the, the cuts at Adventus uh, says we're down to amalgamation of divisions so consolidation uh, you see uh, 2U uh, DS, D2L uh, future uh, future learn laying off staff uh, you see um, all the numbers that are represented here Coursera uh, you see Una 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 Academy uh, three rounds of redundancies in 2022. Uh, first one, 1,000 jobs lost in April. This is in, in India. Uh, and a further 150 in June and a final 350 in November. Uh, layoffs uh, have also, there's been uh, in other ventures, uh, Al Ventures, Preply, uh, Degreed, uh, also a Go Student, a whole number of these ed tech platforms. Because uh, it was getting, frankly, 
very crowded <laughs> in the space. And for institutional reps that are trying to distinguish between the differences uh, from an agent aggregator versus a master agent versus an ed tech platform that is providing online courses for students in a particular market that uh, would then be transferring to you to finish degrees. Uh, you talk about um, even our colleagues at uh, uh, at Upgrad had had some layoffs. Uh, we've seen a lot of this going on. Teradata is hiring actually. There's some that are going the other direction, but not not a lot. And that's certainly something to, to think about um, where where the layoffs are coming and why they're happening. Uh, and I think it's a lot of it has to do with um, the high expectations with all the venture capital that forced some of the leaders of, of these companies to maybe overcook the expectations a little bit in terms of what they'd be able to sell to their to their to their uh, fund to their um, the buyers uh, or the funders of their initiatives uh, that wasn't realistic in terms of where the market was and where the universities that were looking to uh, to to connect with these organizations to bring students in so we, we've we've seen it uh, and it's it's a little bit uh, of some folks are saying it, so it's like I told you so. It's crocodile tears from those folks, but uh, a lot of it is uh, uh, is just frankly over overreach, and I think uh, into a very crowded market. And we've seen that uh, again and again with companies that have uh, put together these grand plans for world domination in terms of international student recruitment markets. In terms of we're the platform for this, we're the largest for this. We're the, everybody's saying that. And it's none of it's true, and that's that's the hard thing for institution reps that are trying to make these decisions and leadership at institutions that are looking at budget priorities. And we don't have endless supplies of money to do that. And if I'm at a state institution, we don't have endless supplies of money to do that. We got to be very careful about where we choose to invest. So uh, there might have been four or five companies that I was thinking, oh, it might be worth taking a flyer on these guys this year. But the reality is, budget's not there this year. We may have some more funds next year when we start bringing in more students that can bolster our bottom line and provide a, a regular a renewable source of income for our offices to to push the boat up further ourselves as an institution in terms of where we're reaching, hiring staff, trying new ventures, uh, getting into new markets. Um, that costs money and we got to be very smart about where we spend our, do our dollars. So for me as an institution representative that is looking at and and getting the cold calls from a lot of these uh, vendors, even credential evaluation services are cold calling now, trying to get corner our corner our market where we kind of tell students you can work, uh, you can get your NACES accreditation uh, credential evaluation done from any of these uh, programs that we'll accept. Uh, we haven't gone. Uh, try uh, sole source provider on that yet, uh, but that's something that getting cold calls on that. That's that's even that sector is is a, is is impacting what we do in international ed. So there's a lot out there, and I, I think the lion's share of of those that are out there have overpromised and are under delivering. And it's uh, it's it's not the way you want to do business, frankly. It's a way you have to do business, I guess, if you're if you're so dependent on these angel investors or VC funding to make your company model go. Uh, and if you're not able to generate those results, then they pu they start pulling round two funding and all of that will continue to, to drop. Uh, future funding will continue to drop. But the, your your customers on the back end uh, that are wanting to utilize your services, 
if they're not seeing that reliability or that over-promising and under-delivering, if they're seeing that as kind of the hallmark uh, for a stability of a company, then that's going to raise some questions with us about uh, future long-term sustainability of a relationship with you. So it is a wake-up call, and it's not something that's an easy conversation to have, and but it's one that we all, it's the reality of what we need to do as institutional reps is, is, is to go in with both eyes wide open in terms of uh, who the companies that we're working are, what their, what their motiv- main motivations are, what they're able to deliver on, and getting in on the ground floor with some companies uh, that are promising the moon is, is always dangerous. It's great when it works, but if it doesn't, then you're out. Uh, unless you, you've negotiated a very, very uh, uh, smart deal uh, in terms of not uh, pushing out expectations too far uh, and funding too far for that, for that particular new phenomenon. I think you're in a good position in terms of, uh, of, of being able to s- sit back and, and choose the vendors that are, are, are sustaining themselves through this, through this potentially uh, kind of a, a little bit of a rebound from uh, – what they we're seeing in, in overall numbers to the United States, some of that's uh, coming because it was going to come anyway because of pent up demand. But the be- ability to facilitate more is not always uh, is is out there as a potential. But how how are you? Uh, how are the particular vendors that you're choosing from showing you that they're going to be able to do that and deliver on their promises? So and what what happens if they don't? So that these are the things that uh, we we all need to be thinking about in our positions in international ed when we're talking about enrollment management and wise use of public funds if you're at a public institution or all these other factors that may come in. Even if you're at a private institution that has a fairly substantial budget, you still need to be be wise with your decision making on where where your institutional dollars are spent. So that's all we got on the second question. The third and final one is a is a positive one in, and it takes us in a new direction. Again, we're not talking about the elites here, elite institutions that are uh, have more applications than they know what to do with. We're talking about uh, direct admissions here. And how is the direct admissions phenomenon going this year? And the articles that we're, we're sharing today are uh, both from Inside Higher Ed. One is uh, Direct Admissions Continues to Grow. That's a, a Scott Jashik article from last week uh, that t- kind of gives you an update on some of the, the, the new players that have uh, come onto the scene in the last two, three years in this, in this market with direct admissions, how some of their institutional expectations have been surpassed uh, in terms of applications generated. And, and so far, amounts of these that are direct admissions, the way that these articles are written are very much for the domestic audiences. But there are applications for international that I want to I want to talk about today. First is direct admissions continue to grow, programs grow, and thus far colleges and companies declare they are succeeding. Yield rates remain uncertain. Obviously, it's too early for yield rates. Uh, we're not at May first yet, or into the summer months. A second article just came out in the last day or two called "I Didn't Think Any College Would Accept Me, But I Was Wrong," and the t- subtag of this is direct admissions is a game changer for students who do not see themselves as college ready. So there's applications domestically clearly to uh, to the excitement for a student to get contacted by a university saying sight unseen, for, at least from the student's perspective, uh, the university reaching out to them or the college reaching out to them and say, we admit you uh, based on what we've seen from your academic uh, portfolio, from any other data that they're able to find from that student's profile online. How important is that? If you're 
uh, one of your main goals is to increase number of first-gen students or increase students coming from uh, disadvantaged backgrounds that are saying this very thing. I didn't think any college would accept me, but I was wrong. When you see colleges able to make that offer to a student who can say who is saying that to themselves, and now is like, wow. I can really go to college here. And then we talk about the back end. Part of the, this first article on direct admissions talks about uh, at the different institutions that are trying it, uh, the, not just the application numbers are up, but they're also looking at the number of uh, those that they've admitted through this direct admissions process that are also filing, for, for filing their FAFSAs early. Uh, so that, those numbers are up. 50, uh, like one institution, Augsburg in Minnesota, 51% increase in minority students admitted this year. Uh, that um, they're uh, up up over almost 50%, yeah, 50% in overall applica free FAFSA applications in so far as a result this year because of the direct admissions piece. So there's a lot of um, positive news that's going into this these two articles here from a domestic student perspective. And when I say perspective, let's flip that again to the international students. And what have, I, what have we said whenever we talked about the six Ps? Again, going back to another six P, perspective. Uh, it's the one that I always recommend institutions start with. Uh, start with their perspective on their institutional place, not only uh, internally, where is your institution at when it comes to uh, supporting things international on your campus, and that should help, that should inform how you plan to do what you want to do internationally to grow or to maintain or to diversify, whatever it is. But also flip that around. When, you're, when you know what your institution's perspective is on international, things international, what is the world's view of you? Uh, what, is the, what global perspective do you need to have as an institution of where students are coming from and what it's like for students in potential markets that you want to target. What's it like for them to look at studying outside their home country? Why do they want to study out there outside their home country? That might be an easy one. There might be a lot of push and pull factors involved, and you have to do your research and know that for your markets you want to go into so you can help develop those personas that we are talking about earlier as well. But having that perspective of what it's like for students in other countries to apply not only to the United States but to your institution, but also the understanding and the perspective you need to have that those students that, you're, that you want to admit are also going to be applying to other countries, not just necessarily your competitors in the United States. And we all know that your domestic competitors are not going to be the same as your international competitors for students. There's a, those are two different things. Who your peers are domestically is going to be different than who your peers are internationally in terms of who you are competing against as an institution for those same students. You're not competing like at UNLV. We're not competing just against University of Nevada, Reno. Uh, we're competing against the Cal State system. We're competing against most other state universities in the south and southwest of the U.S. Uh, we're competing against universities in Canada, universities in Australia, universities in the United Kingdom, universities uh, in New Zealand, perhaps, maybe even universities in China that we're competing against for the same students. And we need to look at how, it, how that journey is for students in those countries that are applying to us that are also applying to other countries. 
other countries who have a much more streamlined application process. There's one application, like in the in the uh, in the case of of British universities, the UCAS, whether it's an undergrad applicant or transfer applicant or a graduate applicant, they all file UCAS for for their whatever path they're going down. One application, six programs you can apply to, or six majors you can apply to, academic programs, or that's 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 the UK. So it's a much simpler process. It's a rolling process. There's early process, and then there's the, the what they uh, in the summer months before the fall they do uh, they they do a second round of, of admissions uh, if they haven't brought in got their full class committed yet. So it's a, in a lot of other countries. It's a lot easier to apply to university than it is for most students coming to the United States. And we're, again, we're not talking about the elite schools because the elite schools will get more applications than they know what to do with, but they also make that a whole lot more complicated uh, for students to apply to than most of us. And there's where direct admissions can really make a difference, I think, internationally. Uh, uh, one of the first articles has, a, has some data from uh, college, uh, excuse me, from Common App uh, that uh, there are quite a few quite a few institutions using Common App this year for uh, for that. There's Concourse EAB approach. They've renamed Concourse has been renamed Greenlight Match uh, in EAB that purchased Concord or Concourse. Uh, you see uh, with a couple others out there, Niche as uh, Sage Scholars is doing it. Common App is up to 14 institutions that are using direct admissions this year that have admitted 33,000 applicants through direct admissions. So that's that's one to watch in terms of volume. So we'll see where that goes because many institutions like like UNLV we're on part we're a part of Common App. So we're looking at ways that we can implement direct admission for this next recruitment cycle. So for 20. 324 for that incoming class and follow 24. We're, we're looking at ways we can potentially do that. Um, how we do that, we're not sure yet, but we're, we're, we're definitely exploring that. And that's a great thing because it's we're not we're almost open access in terms of institution, in terms of admission requirements. So we're not a complicated institution to get into. Internationally, it's fairly straightforward. There's no SAT, ACT requirement, no essays, no uh, recommendation letters. It's English proficiency ability and your academic ability from your high school transcripts. That's what's going to determine your admissibility for undergraduate. And again, we're talking direct admission, just undergraduate, not talking about uh, master's doctoral programs. So we're in a, in a good position, I think, to adopt, uh, at least in terms of demonstrating how easy it is to apply to us. It already is that, but when we go out to pick students, when we know if we can see an English proficiency score, we can see an academic at grade average, we can use that data and we can make a decision very easily and say, we want to admit you, we want to admit you, we want to admit you, and provide that student the same kind of reaction. I didn't think any college would accept me in the United States, but I was wrong. <laughs> we want to be able to say that, have students <clears throat> who are in our target markets, that that can be what they say when they think of us. So this is something that we're, we're we think, I think, uh, just stepping back from my role at UNLV, I think it's going to be uh, a really, a, a very easy way 
for universities to push the boat out a little bit on direct admission for international students. Uh, the concourse model had that as part of its, its initial attraction, but there may be other ways and other companies that are able to leverage that as well, particularly if we're doing, doing the Common App. So very a lot of possibilities out there in the market in terms of direct admissions, but a phenomenon that I think is only going to grow uh, and across the U.S. institutions that uh, are not the most selective, that have flexibility in their admissions policies, I think this is going to help U.S. institutions who have the capacity to grow and the ability to make changes necessary to facilitate that. It's going to make the uh, process of recruiting international students a very different one. And one, it's an exciting change, I think, that can help dispel some of the notions about for international students when they think about the United States. Well, it's really complicated to apply because I've got to do essays and letters of recommendation and all these extra tests. No, you don't. Not everywhere. And that's uh, only at a few schools. So we're going to say uh, to a prospective student for in, in our key markets, hey, we want you. We think you're the right fit for us. And that's that's a, can be a game changer if it's done right. So let's keep our eyes open and and uh, think about keep the possibilities open to to different changes that can help us do our jobs better internationally. So that's all we have for you today on the midweek roundup. We thank you for being a part of the conversation uh, live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And for those that are subscribing to our audio-only podcast version of the Roundup. Thanks again for all your uh, subscribers uh, to that. Uh, it's great to be with you each week, and we'll continue again in, uh, to bring you the best news and our insights on the top themes of each week on the Roundup. Until next week, have a great time. Cheers. <music>